Hello and welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. With over 15,000 downloads since launch, we are excited to bring you season four featuring in-depth content on business, global affairs and news across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. We've had some extraordinary guests on our channel, including W Series driver Abby Eaton. And we've got thoughts of the future now. Um, you know, I'd love to to try and kind of mentor some of the younger drivers. You know, renowned UK international education champion Professor Sir Steve Smith. Over about a four-year period, we kept increasing the resources going into mental health provision. Chief Executive and Director of the London Design Museum. Tim Marlowe. The way we design is actually thinking about the needs of, of everyone. And CEO of the industry cluster group at JTC, Alvin Tan. If you look at PDD, we are creating an ecosystem of companies, government agencies and industry association with digital space. Thank you, as always, for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashish Tavedi. I work with the International Baccalaureate as the Head of Strategic Initiatives, Innovation and Incubation. I'm also part of the Leadership and Talent Development Committee at the British Chambers of Commerce in Singapore, and that's why I'm here with you today. Workplace culture and leadership are two things that have a massive impact on any organization. Imagine walking into a room and immediately feeling the energy, positive vibes, and a sense of purpose. That's workplace culture. Now take that vibe and multiply with a leader who gets it, who understands not just the what, but the why and the how. That's where leadership comes in. It's the guiding force that turns that daily grind into a harmonious flow. In this episode, we're going to explore how these elements can influence employee happiness and ultimately determine the success of a business. So get ready, we've got a real treat for you. I'm thrilled to introduce a woman who is not just breaking barriers, but shattering ceilings. Meet Liz Bradford, a true dynamo in the world of leadership and workplace culture. With two decades of hands-on experience, Liz is a globe trotter, having worked across three continents with big names like HSBC, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and Swift. Right now, she's the managing director of wholesale banking at HSBC Asia. But that's not all. She's also the CEO of Transform Perform, a platform that's all about nurturing a better work environment. Imagine managing teams with thousands of people spread across 14 countries. Liz's expertise goes from product management straight up to the C-suite, and she's overseen budgets that most of us can only dream of. But what gets her out of bed in the morning? It's her passion for creating healthy, inclusive workplace cultures. She's led employee groups with 48,000 members from 60 markets worldwide and has been a mastermind behind coaching programs that have reached over 12,000 employees globally. If you are a woman looking to rise through the ranks, she's got your back too. She's specially designed talent development programs for women across multiple markets. With Liz, it's not just talk, she walks the walk. She's an ICF accredited coach, a certified personal trainer, 
and a well-being expert. From inclusion and female leadership to stress management and busting burnout, she's got insights that could transform your work life. So sit back and get ready to be inspired. We're about to dive deep with Liz Bradford on how to make workplaces not just functional, but phenomenal. Let's get into it. Liz, it's really awesome to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Ashish. And uh, yeah, it's lucky this is just a podcast, otherwise everyone would see me blushing after <laughs> that intro. Maybe you could come and start all of my weeks and just get well, me up on this massive high. I, you know, I have lots of questions for you, Liz, but the first question I'm really tempted to ask you is where do you get the time to do everything that I said about you? Um, I am a very firm believer in managing your energy, not your time. And genuinely, as you said in your very kind introduction, the cultural piece, the creation of culture, the coaching kind of aspect of my life is what really, really energizes me. So that really doesn't feel like work to me. And it's really something that, especially when you're working with other people who get it or people who want to try and get to that point, I find that super energizing. So I probably don't have your uh, typical work-life balance. I'm more like a work-life Jenga, um, but I'm very, very passionate about it. And I find that it, it gives me that high to keep pushing in and going out of my comfort zone and stretching. Great. So Liz, let's start from the basics. What does workplace culture mean to you and why is it important? So I thought in your intro, it's very interesting because you described, imagine walking in um, and you've got a, a buzzing group of people. That's the idea that you're, you're aiming for, right? So it's the culture of an organization is really, it's a combination of the values that we have, but most importantly, the behaviors, um, sometimes a little bit around the environment we create, whether that's physical or something a little bit more ethereal, but it's really the personality and atmosphere of your workplace or your environment, um, wherever you may be operating. So it's influenced very heavily by the people, by the policies, but really it's the behaviors that we endorse, allow and nurture in our environments. Liz, there are lots of things that are tied to workplace culture, productivity, employee engagement, job satisfaction. There are many things that are influenced, shaped by workplace culture. So tell us a little bit more about how the workplace culture impacts productivity, employee engagement, and most importantly, job satisfaction. It's such a huge factor. I mean, I think it's probably the biggest lever you can pull when it comes to creating an engaged and productive workforce. So if you have people operating in an environment where they really bond with the culture, they feel energized, they feel invested in emotionally, and they feel that they have psychological security, they're gonna give more because they know they can grow there they know other people have got their back and they know that there's opportunity. So it's it's huge on an engagement and therefore productivity perspective. And I think the other thing that people sometimes underestimate is the power of having a retained workforce. So the actual cost to businesses when, you're, when you've got high attrition, re-recruitment, everything else, and especially when you've got turnover in your leadership ranks, it has a hugely detrimental impact to your business because most of us are focused on customers, whatever you do, if there's no customer, there's no business. And if we're focused on internal concerns and politics and, and how things are going internally, as opposed to nurturing that, we're not as focused on the end outcome for our customers. 
So it's massively important around productivity, profitability. It's probably the most important thing you can invest in, creating a culture in which people can thrive. The idea of positive workplace is very appealing from the sound of it, Liz. <laughs> but is it really possible to create such a thing? You know, what, what are some of the companies that come to mind that have successfully built strong workplace culture? It's a great question. I mean, we often hear of ones that haven't. And a lot of them more recently in the press, maybe some of the tech firms, a little bit less so. But actually, even within the tech industry, there are some fantastic examples. So Microsoft regularly tops the, the number one spot in best places to work. And a lot of that is around the growth mindset that their leadership have created. So really thinking about how do we treat mistakes, not so much as something that should be hidden or concerned about, but more a learning development opportunity. And they're very, very public about that. And they publicly reward that amongst the firm. Um, another one is Adobe, and again, very much around things like the psychological security of being able to fail, learn, adapt, and grow on that, and really creating that as part of their core values. And then there are other ones. So um, I'm from Australia. Um, for the last sort of decade or so, there's a fantastic firm there called Culture Amp, and they focus on this, but they really walk the walk of, of what they have as a product, which is around sense checking, culture, and pulse checking, everything else. So but you look at the community that they've built internally and it really is a phenomenal achievement and it, it's genuinely authentic around how they look after their people. Liz, you mentioned psychological safety and learning from failures a couple of times. And I'm, I'm tempted to get into a bit of leadership, you know, because without leadership, this is, it seems like it's, it's a very hard thing to achieve. So let's talk a little bit about the role of leaders and the way they lead in all of this. To what extent leaders are responsible for shaping the workplace culture? Uh, I think it's the number one responsibility that authentic, genuine leaders have in their firms. So it really starts with role modeling. It's one thing to say these are our values. Lots of, well, all firms now, I think, have them. You can paint them up on the wall. You can do whatever you like with the phrase. But if you're not living those and your behaviors aren't aligned with that, that discord means that people won't necessarily trust. So they will always watch leaders to see how they should behave. And leaders have an enormous impact. So you can either cast a massive light or a massive shadow with your behaviors. And it's a little bit like, as I understand, because I don't have them, but with children, it's the whole do as I say, not as I do, but actually people do as you do. So they see what it takes to become successful in the firm and they follow that example. So if you're not role modeling um, a really great culture and the humility to admit your mistakes, open up to them and learn from them and grow from them, then you can't expect your people to be doing that either. I connect with your thing about children. You know, <laughs> I have two and I am totally with you on that. You said role modeling, you said building trust. Um, doesn't sound like, again, you know, easy things to achieve. So, what are some of the tips and strategies you would give to leaders for cultivating a positive workplace culture? So I think there's some very um, sort of framework driven things that you can do around creating what success looks like, making sure that that is achievable, being very consistent in the way in which you treat your people. And a lot of it then is really about the behaviors. So it's ensuring that you don't play favorites in the team, ensuring that everyone has an opportunity and, and gets recognized for their contribution. 
And that's a big part of inclusion. So obviously many, many firms have done a great deal in terms of building diversity, and that's really a, a metric. But actually, if you don't create an environment in which everyone can contribute in their own way, you don't necessarily have cognitive diversity and it's not really inclusive. So making sure that you're giving everyone airtime, you're taking different factors into consideration, maybe that's flexibility, maybe that's language, maybe that's just different cultural backgrounds and how people may perceive certain objectives of your firm. So making sure that's all factored in and setting people up for success, really. It all comes down to that. And it's it's quite tough at the moment. Obviously, the, the macro environment is not looking great. So a lot of people are under pressure and it does become harder for leaders if we think about it empathetically to sort of always keep that at the forefront. But once we slip on that, if we're not consistent, people don't know what to trust and what to follow. Wow. So Liz, it sounds like this workplace culture is a little bit like a cosmos of individual personalities, each shaped by a multitude of beliefs, values, goals, motivations, actions, and reactions. I'm trying to imagine what it would look like to lead an entire organization towards collectively building a positive workplace culture. What are some of the common challenges that leaders face? And how should they deal with these challenges? That is such a great question because you're right, it is a, a total cosmos, but also we're all human at the end of the day. And I think recognizing that humanity and the things that we have in common is a super important starting point. People are under a lot of pressure, as I just said. So as leaders, I think acknowledging that and making sure that people can see their humanity as well, and that sometimes it's okay to struggle and not fall back into those shadow behaviors or ask for help is absolutely fundamental. And I think that making sure that we've got the right systems and frameworks in place from a policy perspective, um, from a progression perspective, how we're bringing people up through our, our companies, our firms, everything else is super critical as well. So making sure that we've got very diverse pipelines that, you know, that cognitive diversity that I talked about is being nurtured and reflected and recognized as well. Thank you, Liz. These are some really good insights about leaders and their role in building a positive workplace culture. You talked about humanity and being a human and COVID-19 and the last several years, you know, it has had an impact on that aspect a little bit because the in-person work has, you know, we're more and more moving towards remote working and there's more digitalization. So in the last couple of years, we've seen a noticeable shift in how we work. More and more companies have remote and flexible working arrangements. There's also heavy dependence on technology to manage things. So in all of this, what sort of impact of remote working and digitalization have you seen on workplace culture? I've never seen anything in the 20 years I've been working, I've never seen anything quite so transformative. Um, and it has pluses and minuses. The pluses are obviously much more flexibility. We can be more inclusive. We can encourage more remote work. Um, the minuses, we have to change the way in which we train our people managers. We have to change the way in which we lead to really put care and empathy as almost the number one human skill that people are being taught. And we need to shift our cultural expectations. So many, many markets that I operate in historically have been very used to a kind of command and control hierarchical structure. And that just didn't work during the pandemic. 
So everyone was working from home. You couldn't physically see people. It was no longer about FaceTime. And we did see a lot of productivity, but then we also saw a lot of, you know, work hours leaking into personal time. And now we've gone back to the office in many instances and that hasn't changed. So people are not switching off now when they're going home. So I think it saddens me a little when I see this kind of diktat of everyone must come back to the office. I think we should absolutely create spaces that people want to come back to and give them a reason to do that. So when they are in the office, I, I quite often go into companies and see everyone just sat on Zoom. Honestly, you may as well be at home and not doing the commute. Um, but creating those sort of events, environments, reasons for people to engage is absolutely fundamental because we are wired for connectivity. So even the introverts amongst us, like myself, who absolutely loved lockdown and working from home and everything else, all of us need to have that interaction. And if we want to create a culture that's lasting and resilient and robust, that needs to be woven through the fabric of our community and community is built in person. So I absolutely agree that we need to create those sort of opportunities for people to come together, but I don't feel like it should be mandatory and I don't feel like it should be five days a week or six days a week or whatever it may be, depending on where you work. So, yeah, so I think there's a big piece around how we support people managers in how they lead, you know, a lot more around well-being, resilience, including their own resilience. That was the real layer where we saw a lot of burnout during the pandemic and even now, because the expectation from on high is you still meet your targets and the expectation from your people is very, very different. People want to be cared for in a different way to be engaged. So I think that's the core piece of it. And that's a lot of the work that we do at Transform Perform. And I think that the other piece around it is really leveraging the technology in, in smarter ways. So, for example, you can see when people are logged on all the time. Like there are obviously some concerns around how much you're monitoring people and everything else. But in some European countries, they literally switch off some of the communications channels at 6 p.m. I can't even imagine people proposing that in Asia. So it's uh, it really depends on where you are and the culture you're in. But within your firm, thinking about how you leverage those technologies, how you look at things like sentiment analysis in email traffic, for example, you can tell when people are struggling and have very defined interventions to see. And then the final thing around the technology, there are some amazing firms out there that do a lot of sentiment checking through pulse surveys, tracking, engagement, ways for people to come together, even if they can't be in the same place. So whether that's you know well-being challenges through something like Kaido or the cultural AMP platform that I mentioned before. So how you build community, even though people are in different locations, we've got huge opportunity there as well. Fantastic. Liz, you mentioned uh, something that resonated a lot with me because we are in a similar situation as an organization. And uh, creating that desire for employees to come back rather than mandating two days or three days or four days work from office. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, how can leaders make that happen? Honestly, the key to this one that I've seen work really, really well is give people autonomy. So if you explain the North Star of this is why we want people to come together, how does this work best for you? You will get, you know, people with different schedules, different demands, everything else, but they will get creative about it. So I remember coming in to lead one team. And they're like, well, we want to work a four day week. And I turned around and they were doing it to push me. It was on a, like a, an anonymous slide or whatever. They were doing it to test me. And I said, if you can come back to me with a proposal on how that works and our customers don't notice a difference, our other teams that we support don't notice a difference, we will 100% try it. Um, and they did and we have and it's working really, really well. And that's a team which has a lot of young parents in the, the team. And so that's giving them then their additional flexibility 
to be home and spend more time, which is very precious when your family is young. So I think it's about giving people some autonomy. To your point, mandating a set number of days. I mean, that works, but then work with your team to work out which days. So which days work? What will you actually do on them? How will those days be different when people come in? Like, how are we going to engage? What is our almost our team charter? How much time will we spend together? I'm always a big fan. Um, I'm a bit conflicted on this because I do a lot of work around well-being as well, but I'm a big fan of people getting together for food. So to eat, it's a, a total normalizer for humans. So I think when you create an environment that people want to come back into and bond in, you'll end up with a much stronger and longer lasting positive culture. I like that idea. Things around food usually are very successful. <laughs> and it, it, it looks like, you know, focusing more on what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to accomplish as a team is more important and coupled with autonomy. I think that creates a powerful reason for people to decide whether they want to come to office, they want to meet outside, or they want a different arrangement to make sure. But they need to feel connected to that thing that they're trying to achieve or accomplish together. Let's talk about AI, which is a hot topic these days. The concept of AI has been around for decades. However, it looks like it has now become a part of every everyday conversation. Technologies like ChatGPT have made AI more accessible and more relatable to the general public. And I think that's the reason why there is like a increased dialogue and interest in this field. How do you see AI changing the landscape of the workplace? So I know it's a big hype at the moment. My background is tech. So, and as you say, this has been around for a long time. I remember going to night school in Sydney and learning about uh, models. But I do think this will be by far a bigger change than we've just seen in the last five years. So I think it will come sweeping through, whether it's around the automation of you know, the more simple tasks that we do as humans, we're obviously seeing, and I think the reason why it's causing such ructions is it's also very creative. So everyone who assumes they had a creative human-led job is now starting to sweat a little bit. I think it will sweep through, and I think we have a huge responsibility to build an environment in which people can benefit from it in an equal way. People can learn new skills, new tools, and be at the forefront of it, rather than get swept away by that change and suddenly not have a profession, not know what to do with their time, everything else. So people need purpose. We come to work for purpose. Yes, we come to work, obviously, for financial security and stability, but that never really is the, it's never enough if you want an engaged culture. So if we give people purpose and they can see where you're going, and we know that's evolving, but if they can see where you're going, that you're investing in upskilling, that you're giving them opportunities in the future, we may not know what the future jobs look like, but we know what some of those skills are going to be. So whether you're training for adaptability, resilience, communication skills, how we actually engage with the technology itself, how we teach it. And I think that's the fundamental piece is there is an enormous amount of bias in our existing system. So systemically, we are not set up to be inclusive in any culture I've ever worked in. And we are at risk if we don't address that at this point, then we are at risk of amplifying that very, very quickly. And so I think it's absolutely fundamental that everyone has a voice and there is a great deal of cognitive diversity in how we're feeding the models, teaching the models, and then even the use cases that we're training them on, because this shouldn't be something that ends up creating a much bigger cultural divide, an inclusivity divide. It should be a tool that is level setting. So Liz, you know, when you were talking about purpose and the need for your team or your organization to see where you're going, 
biases, inclusivity, and cognitive diversity. <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking about leaders. So we got to bring the leaders back into the conversation because none of this is imaginable or possible without leadership. So how can leaders leverage AI or the situation that we are in right now to enhance the workplace culture? Great question. So first of all, I think that they need to lead the change and it goes back to what we discussed with role modeling. So they need to not pretend it's not coming, not hide it from people and be very open and transparent about what they do know and then what they need to go and learn. And I think they should role model that. They also need to create the time and the capacity for their people to go and learn new skills. And that is typically, especially because we're seeing cost cutting along a, a, across a variety of different industries, that is quite challenging. And then I think they need to use the tooling to take away some of the, the work that really isn't value adding that much. And you doing that, you can then create the capacity for people to upskill and learn new skills, learn new career paths even, and actually take advantage of that. And we're seeing in things like education, for example, within organizations, we're seeing a great deal of AI-led tailored learning capability sort of paths being developed and everything else. So we're absolutely leveraging it already, but I do think there's a significant opportunity for, for that to go further. Liz, with AI, a whole lot of issues come into the mix. Privacy, security, issues around fairness, inclusivity and diversity, which you've mentioned. How can companies ensure a healthy balance between the introduction of AI and all these very vital aspects of a strong workplace culture? So it has to start with ethics and it has to start with your values and your culture. So you need to think about the culture that you want to create, ensure that the ways in which you're planning on using this tooling is aligned with your values, and you need to decide and design uh, policies and procedures and frameworks that will reinforce that. Because to the point of the amplification, when we start to move work over, many of the tools that I've worked with so far, they learn like a child, like they learn like a human being. So we need to make sure that we are building these capabilities in a very ethical way so that they're driving the right outcomes for our people, for our customers, for the wider society. And so I think there needs to be a degree of caution around that. And certainly there's a great deal of upskilling and expertise needed in that space. And perhaps that's one of the areas in which we really should be focusing people is the ethics and actually thinking about how do we train for that? How do we consider some of these debates and, and have them in a very public forum? Those who do not adopt or adapt do not survive. So Liz, I know you have given a whole lot of tips and strategies for leaders, you know, how to function in this era of AI, but I would like you to distill your top three things that you would like to tell leaders in terms of skills or qualities that they will need to develop if they want to survive and thrive. Wow, okay, uh, top three. Number one, always, regardless of the, the technology or anything else, be human. Be human in your culture, be human in the way in which you interact with people and remember that we are, any culture is a group of humans at the end of the day, regardless of how we tool that up. The second one would be communicate. So transparency is absolutely critical. Humans tend to fill silence and avoid with the worst possible imaginable outcome. 
and sometimes that can be self-fulfilling so just communicate 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 it's okay to admit you don't know everything but at least give people the kind of boundaries and the direction in which you're moving in and then i think the third one is to actually look after themselves so having resilience within your leadership is absolutely fundamental to building any kind of resilient culture so people need to see back to the walk the walk piece people need to see that you genuinely believe that cultural resilience personal resilience is something worthwhile investing in. that wasn't very concise sorry i didn't distill very no i like concise things you know when when you just tell them top three things and they stick somehow top three things or top five things well liz uh, this has been great folks as we wrap up today's discussion on leadership and workplace culture let's try to distill what we've learned into some bite-sized takeaways first of all first off workplace culture is the lifeblood of an organization it is what makes teams click drives productivity and keeps everyone aligned leaders you are the architects here your actions more than your words set the tone secondly challenges to a positive culture come in many forms whether it's favoritism or the tolerance of poor behavior the key according to liz is consistency i think we got to make sure the values we preach are the values we practice third the remote work era calls for a different brand of empathy and communication let's remember liz's tip there are lots of technological tools you can use but what's more important is how you use them that counts. The advent of AI is thrilling, but it comes with its own set of ethical quandaries. Data privacy, biases, you name it. Leaders have the daunting but exciting task of steering us through these murky waters. And let's not forget, adaptability and resilience are the new currencies in this AI-driven world. In conclusion, whether it's the rise of remote work or the potential of AI, it all circles back to workplace culture and leadership. Get these right, and you're not just surviving, you're thriving. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, let's keep the conversation going. Did I miss anything, Liz? I could not have said it better myself, Ashish. No, you have wrapped that up beautifully. Thank you very much. Liz, really nice talking to you. Thanks a ton for all the wonderful tips and insights. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe and why not leave us a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, Google and the other podcast platforms. For more information about the Chamber, please visit our website at www.britcham.org.sg and tune in next time for a brand new episode.